What's up, everyone? Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Andrew Bartman. Andrew is currently the Director of Coaching Development with USA Baseball. In this episode, we talk about his own coaching journey. He started out at a very young age, you know, coaching junior college baseball. He's coached NAIA. He's been a head coach. And he talks a little bit about some of the things that he had to learn on the fly as a young head coach and what he would do differently if he could go back um, to his younger self again as a first-year coach. And, and some of the pieces of advice that he gives are extremely valuable talks a little bit about giving back to the community and how you know they one of his teams when he was at Bethany College which is an NAIA school they did 5000 hours of community service in just one year and how that changed the lives of a lot of the kids on the team just being able to see some of the things that that they did see when they went and and helped out and volunteered he also gives some great advice on how to make sure that you're prioritizing family time as a coach I think you put in so many hours coaching and it's easy to to not necessarily be present. And that's one of the things he talks about is being present when you are with your family and how that, that helps such a great deal. Thanks to our sponsor, Blast Motion, for sponsoring this episode. If you head to blastmotion.com, type in code PJB25, they'll hook you up with a great deal. I truly believe that Blast Motion is the best best product for your for your dollar on the market it's it's very cheap and affordable but it's a great product and you see major league teams all across the board using it so i use it with guys who are professionals all the way down to kids who are in junior junior high so if it's a great product head to blastmotion.com type in code pjb25 pjb25 and they'll hook you up with a great deal ladies and gentlemen here is my episode with andrew bartman all right we are now live with andrew bartman who is the director of coaching development at usa baseball andrew thanks for stopping by today hey thanks for having me i really appreciate it so you've been you know you've you've been a little bit everywhere you've been at several colleges you know you've been at abca now you're at usa baseball um, now the director of coaching development. Um, did you think growing up, you know, when you were in high school or even in college that you were going to become a coach right away? I think, you know, I think in high school, I actually was asked to help coach my junior high baseball team and basketball team. So I enjoyed doing it. And when I was in college, I coached uh, Legion ball with one of my college, my JUCO coach. And I coached a travel team that I kept for two years, just the same team, same group of kids. I really enjoyed it. Um, I didn't understand all the ins and outs of what coaching, you know, post-college meant once you were done with school. But, um, you know, I, I had a former coach, mentor, Kevin Best, AD at Tyler Junior College now down in Texas. He sat me down and really broke down, um, you know, what, what it means to, while you're young and single and don't have respons- as many responsibilities, just go, just go try to coach college baseball and live on nothing because you can always go back and coach high school. Right. So that was kind of the, the mentality and the mindset that I had. And I, you know, fortunately was able to just, you know, be blessed and keep landing it at different spots for various reasons. So was your first coaching job in college at Wabash Valley? Yes. I, yeah. Was, you went to my learning on the fly and learning how to coach. Um, I, I played Juco and then I played division three baseball. 
And then I come in at the end of the fall. I got done with my student teaching. I come in at the end of the fall. So I didn't have the fall with the guys, right? Come at the end of the fall and it's like, hey, you're the pitching coach and coach the catchers and recruit and here's your pitching staff. And all of a sudden I watched three guys throw and I went, what the heck is this? Mm. 10 pro scouts there. I was like, I've never even seen a pro scout. Like, <laughs> you know, they weren't there to watch me. I know that. So, uh, my, my main focus was really making sure those guys just continue to get better. And I really just didn't want to screw them up, you know, and was very fortunate to coach a lot of really good arms that wouldn't be considered good arms today. Cause that's back when 88 to 91 was getting drafted in the top 10 rounds, uh, 10 or 12 years ago. Right. But, uh, two, two guys ended up making the big leagues from that stat, that same staff my first year. And, um, the best part is those two guys were two of the hardest workers. They're extremely talented, but also two really good teammates great people. Aaron Baird, he's still, uh, he's still working with the nationals. He had a great comeback story from uh, a broken arm, arm surgery a couple of years ago and Keith Butler with the Cardinals. But um, yeah, I was very fortunate. It was trial by fire and I had no idea what I was doing. And I got to learn from one of, if not the best in the game, Rob Fournier forever indebted to him uh, for giving me my first job and really teaching me how to coach and how to care about players and how to have a diverse uh, worldview of the games. I was, you know, coaching guys from Puerto Rico and Dominican and Venezuela and from all 50 states, um, pretty much. And it was, man, it was so rewarding. And it's, it was like going to coaching school, really. Yeah, that, that program is just a juggernaut. I mean, every single year there, it seems like they're dominating. And, you know, we, one of our coaches, uh, Christian Frias, went, was coaching at Wabash before the Orioles. And, He's just, I, I love that guy to death. He's awesome. So I'm sure everyone else there is, just, I mean, if they're similar to him, they're great people too. If you could go back to yourself that first year at Wabash Valley, knowing everything you know now, what would you tell, what, like, what would you tell that first year coach? Man, I would definitely say view the players as individual people and not as, not as uh, commodities. So mm -hmm. I would, I would go back and make sure that I poured as much into the 10th guy in, on our staff as I did my number one, number two, number three. And really caring about the players as people and not as much as, okay, your name's, your name's Billy. You're not just a center fielder, right? So it's so easy to put, put up on the big board, the recruiting board. It's like, we need two outfielders. We need this. We need this. And really, even in the recruiting side, paying more attention to the people that I was recruiting not just the positions I was recruiting mm. so you feel like you were just solely just looking at baseball player like it was like x's and o's type of thing 100 percent. yep yeah. so I, was, I was caught up in it it was something new for me and I was dealing with all these talented guys and I had kid from town of 300 people in central Illinois that played division three baseball and I've got the recruiting coordinators from Louisville and Kentucky and from Mississippi State and Miami and 20 pro scouts texting me and calling me man I thought I was really cool and um, I should have, I should have really dove, you know, dove into my players' lives more than just, they were commodities, you know, it was like, we're just trying to get the best players we possibly, and that's not because of Rob, that was just me, um, young and dumb, and that's what I was focused on, was getting, was, was getting better. Yeah, I mean, that's really good advice, I mean, definitely for them, other coaches out there who are listening to this, and and I know you went, took the, essentially the same role, right? Where you were recruiting coordinator and pitching coach next stop Lincoln college. Right. How long, so how long were you at Wabash Valley for? I was there for three Springs. So I got, I came in mid year and then I was there for three Springs. We won, we won the conference, we won the conference title. One of those years got second, uh, another year. And then um, the year after I left, they won the, the region title for the first time in the tournament for the first time in a while. Um, 
Yeah, the Lincoln College thing. I was at Wabash for three years. I talked with a couple small division ones about potentially joining them. They had a pitching coach opening, but didn't make a lot of sense financially at the time and what, what we had going on. I played at Lincoln College. I'm, I went to Lincoln High School. Um, I love Tony Thomas to death, the head coach there. They are now an NAI school. Love Tony to death. He's one of the greatest men I've ever been around. Um, Tony can really coach a game of baseball. Tony does not spend a ton of time recruiting. Like, it's just not his thing, right? But he really cares about his players. And he turns out a ton of down the line, really good husbands and fathers, right? Um, so he called me and he said, hey, I know you're not going to do this, but pitching coach left. Any chance you want to come be a come back and be a dorm director? And it was kind of like taking on a challenge. They weren't they weren't super successful the last few years. So I said, okay, we'll go back home. Uh, and I was a dorm director in a male dorm, and my wife was a dorm director in a female <laughs> dorm. And we had health insurance, and we had a meal plan, and we we're making like fourteen thousand dollars with no bills. <laughs> um, and they they paid for her to finish her bachelor's degree and for me to finish my master's degree. And that was really the big the big kicker for me was that getting that master's degree paid for like 85% or something. And so the first year we were just okay. And they were a private JUCO in the same conference as Heartland, Parkland, Lincolnland, Icy Like It's tough to win, right? So those are really, really good JUCO baseball programs that are state schools. And then we had the private Lincoln College. Um, but really proud of what we did there for two years. And I used it for what it was, it was come back and help Tony and, um, uh, the recruiting class, we, when I was there for two years, received votes in the national poll for the first time ever, um, was, was a four-seater better in the conference tournament for the first time in like 20 years. And then um, the team that, when I left, the two recruiting classes I brought in, uh, they, set like a, they set like a school record, most wins in 25 years, you know, the wow. year with all the guys. And I did the bulk of the recruiting, myself and Isaac Cox, uh, the other assistant, we did the bulk of the recruiting and really got after it and had some good players and um, proud of what we did there for a couple of years. It was fun. I wish I had a, a, you know, a baseball reunion there last year and I was asked to give a, a little address, you know, at the end of it. And it's a very special place. And I've always respected coach Thomas and, you know, what he does in really preparing, preparing guys, you know, for after they're done. And so I got that blend of Rob who taught me that crazy, crazy 90 hour a week work ethic. Right. And then it was Tony was the more, um, fatherly type head coach that's really preparing guys for life so we got I got both of those influences on me before I became a head coach which was great what advice would you give um to college coaches out there who maybe are coaching at the juco level nai because I'm sure the recruiting when you're at a juco or nai is different than when you're at a power five because everyone knows who the best players in the country like who are out there on the field are but that doesn't mean you can go they they want to go to a small school. So how do you, how are you, are you only focusing on maybe like a junior or senior instead of who maybe has been passed over at that point than an underclassman? hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you got to know you're not going to be the first choice, right? And I would encourage anyone out there, if you're going to hire a, a recruiting person, like a recruiting spot, forget, forget the guy and sorry if I offense, but forget the guy that's only been at power fives because mm. They have not had to, I guess, sell as much, right? Everybody knows who Mississippi State is. Everybody knows who Wright State is. Everybody knows who Ohio, you know, Ohio University is. They don't know who Bethany College is. And so, like, that JUCO, the, the NAI, the small school guys, they really, really have to work. And I know there's various levels to work. And 
Mississippi State still has to compete with LSU, right? I get that part. But if you want somebody that is going to have to get after it and be creative in recruiting, then you need to go get a small school coach that's done it because they're, they've got so much experience and they've had to find creative ways to get the best players that they can on campus. Speaking of Wright State, I wonder, that's probably why Nate Metzger is such a good recruiter. He's at a small school for, for so many years. He was at Heartland in that same conference as Lincoln College. Right, yeah. that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yep, Nate was. I know Nate for a long time, and he's uh, he does an outstanding job recruiting, and he's a really good teacher of the game. So I'm sure that's it's also tough too because you mentioned Power Five schools. You don't have to do much selling. I'm sure it's tough to be told no a, a decent amount too if you're a smaller school. I mean, that, especially a kid telling you like, "Eh, I'm not interested." That I mean, you got definitely got to put your ego in check when you're when you're recruiting too. Thousand percent. Yeah. Um, Coach Fournier told me right when I started, he said, we recruit 10 to get one. You recruit 10 guys to get one. That's the mentality. You can't have a recruiting list. If we need a shortstop, there can't only be three names on the list. We got to have 30. You know, that's that's the reality of it. And so sometimes you get lucky or blessed and you end up having I mean, you're not going to get to the point where all 30 of them commit, but you might have two or three of them commit. And um, yeah, it's it's so difficult it's so difficult telling people. I mean, we would get the, we would get the calls in the office. Is this, is this Wabash college back when we had office phones, you know, that's how they <laughs> we had office phones. Is this Wabash college football office? Like, no, this is Wabash Valley college. Like, that's the type of stuff that, you know, they're not getting that call at Ohio state. They're not calling them and saying, is this the Heidelberg uh, football office? Like, no, <laughs> that's not, that's not going on, you know? So, okay. After you, after you left Lincoln college, you went to Mac Murray college and you became, you were the head coach. And in your first year, you tripled the win total from the year before. Now, what, what's the secret sauce? I'm sure you'll be you'll probably be humble and give credit to someone else. But like what what did, what did you do? The secret sauce was they were so bad before I got there. <laughs> of, uh, my good friend, my my fellow assistant at Wabash Valley, and then my assistant at McMurray, who became the head coach when I left, Justin Fuller. He said, "Don't worry, boys. You can't fall out of a basement window." So we're, we're bound to be better than we were. Um, it was, uh, I also played at McMurray. So I got to coach at both my alma maters and Juco and D3. And when I had left as a player, they went this rut of hiring a part-time coach and no expectations, things like that. And so they had just made the shift to hiring somebody full-time. And, you know, luckily I'm in the right area. I got the track record. I'm alum. I ended up getting the position. And uh, we moved to Jacksonville. It was only an hour away. That was I inherited four players, four returners from the year before's team that only had a roster of 10 and won three games. Luckily, one of those, one of those was a, a good left-handed pitcher, Anthony Williford. And I had to like beg him to stay, right? Like, <laughs> hey, it's not the 65-year-old guy that was here last year. And I had like one milk crate with like nine dirty brown baseballs, no helmets, one set of jersey tops. I mean, it was a complete. Like, like what did I get myself into? Yeah. Dumped the fire, pushed off a cliff, like awful. <laughs> and so I came in and like sent out a practice plan by email the first day, blew their minds. Like, what? <laughs> so, no, it was, I was in the sweet spot. You know, I was in my area where I was from, where I'd recruited, you know, Juca wise, different things. And so I was just wearing out the phones and recruiting. We like, we signed like 28 guys in that summer when I got hired. So we had, you know, a roster of 32. So for private school, that's instantly you hire a full-time coach and you've got 23 more kids on campus than you did the year before for that sport that pays dividends, you know, and then we had to just, we had to fundraise and we had to fun fact there baseball fields in the middle of campus. 
and you also share it with the soccer program. So they play soccer from center field to left field. Oh the benches God. are like right by the dirt. And then you put up the portable chain link fence. Uh, and so we had practice offsite in the fall and they're, you know, they're out there just tearing up the field. And I love it. I had a great relationship with the soccer coach and we just bust each other's chops all the time. Um, but yeah, it's so many challenges, like maintenance telling me how, how low they were going to mow the grass and the grass was four inches tall and one down a game day. And I couldn't <laughs> do anything about it. Left fielder is going to get a ball and it literally just stops and you can't even see it through the grass. I'm looking at my AD pointing to the outfield. <laughs> Can we fire the maintenance guy, please? Can I dictate how, how the grass is on my field? Uh, that's the little stuff that goes on in small school that unless you've done it, you have no idea, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was so many challenges, but was so pumped to have a head coaching job and for my wife and I to buy our first house and for us to have was really blessed there too because there were so many admissions counselors and coaches who were all similar age and that was like our social circle and so we have really good friends to this day from there and um yeah I wouldn't have traded my first head coach experience for anything we beat Webster for the Webster had never lost to McMurray um and so we beat their number one team in the country D3 this year Bill Courage does an outstanding job um they'd never lost and I had known Bill you know and so we go down there and beat him at their place and he was not happy. He goes, usually I'm ordering pizza in the fifth innings. I know we're only going to play seven against Mac. I guess I can't do that anymore. You know, that was the highest compliment I've ever gotten. I, I think that the best coaches are at these small schools with no budgets, with sharing it with another sport, because you have to get so creative in how you develop players and coach. And I really do believe that. I mean, I've been able to talk to some some coaches at schools I've never heard of, and they blow my mind. I mean, they're really freaking good. And I mean, that's where I'd be going if, if I want to recruit a, a good college coach is a small college, with no budget, nothing. And I, you know, you telling that story of having to share it with the soccer team is incredible and awesome. I mean, it just speaks volumes uh, to that. How many hours a week were you putting in that first year as a head coach? I mean, it just sounds like it was just insane. Yeah. I don't even know. I mean, it was, I loved, it was before kids. So I could do what I had to do, you know, so I don't even, in coaching, you don't count the hours. It's not a paid by the hour thing, but right. take 40 and then multiply it by at least two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you, it's pretty cool, though, that you're at your next stop, which was Bethany College and NAIA, you, I saw that you guys did 5,000 hours of community service, which I thought was awesome. What I mean, what made you think of that or want to do that in the first place? Well, probably my wife working for the American Red Cross, you know, that's an easy, that's yeah. an easy in um, for, for service. We, we started with like doing a, and 5,000 hours, that was in one year. I mean, that wow. was one year. We, we kept doing it. Wow. Uh, we're in a small town, Lindsborg, Kansas. Uh, the AD that hired me at McMurray, he was from out there. And so he took the AD job there. Then they had an opening for baseball and I went small town meets Mayberry. You don't lock your doors at night. You know what I mean? It's yeah awesome and um the 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 school's a private school that really embraced being a private school it wasn't mandatory chapel but you were expected to exhibit servant leadership that was one of the core values so we started doing like a sound the alarm campaign with the red cross in salina kansas like smoke detector installation in um in low-income neighborhoods right so we do that we do a couple other things here and there. We help out at the daycare in town. Uh, we went and cleaned that up. We, we did some different things for different people and it was, it was rewarding. And then probably the most rewarding thing we did that I think I've ever done. Hurricane Matthew hit North Carolina. I forget what year it was. And so 
there was just a hurricane in Texas right before that. And so the Red Cross volunteer network was stretched so thin, like there wasn't enough people to respond to this stuff. My wife comes home and says, I might have to deploy for two weeks, even though I'm like, she works, she's administrative and works for national headquarters. Um, she might have to deploy. I said, oh, we'll, we'll figure it out. She goes, there's such a shortage. And so I said, could I take the kids? Like the, the players? So I'll find out. And it was like, boom, boom, boom. Things happen so fast. I get permission from the school because they're like, yeah, this is servant leadership exhibited right here. I take 30 baseball players. We have Laura Stenlin, who's a female athletic trainer. She takes 15, 10 or 15 softball players. And the Red Cross deploys us and we miss school for a week. They deployed us to Matthew uh, in North Carolina. And I thought I was just taking my guys all to one place and we were going to like just hand out water. No, they split us up. They said, coach, sorry, we're taking this six. They're going here. They're going here. You're going with this group here. And um, I went with, it was two softball, three softball players and like three of my guys. And we were in Fairbluff, North Carolina, right on the South Carolina border. Staying in a shelter um, on cots with like 200 people that had been displaced, that lost everything, that had their entire belongings in one Rubbermaid tote. Um, we served them food. We unloaded trucks. We did all these things. It, every kid that came back from that, like eyes were open and it, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. You felt so bad for the people there that I almost feel guilty talking about how much I got out of it because of how much they lost. But it was I, hands down the most rewarding thing I've ever done as a coach. And to provide that life experience for those players was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, I bet that changed the lives of, of every player who went down there. I mean, that's probably one of the most, probably maybe the most important thing they did in all of their college career or right. experience. Absolutely. I've had some of them tell me that. And it was, wow. it was so crazy. So anyone, coaches, listen to this. If you want to get your team involved with something, call the Red Cross, call your local yeah. chapter, ask them what you can do. And it might not be fun or glamorous, but they need it. And it was so crazy. They, they bring a truck full of water and cases of water. And me and the six, I say kids, college students, we unload it. And then the gentleman comes back. He said, well, what do you, what are we going to do the rest of the afternoon? I said, why? What are you talking about? You got another truck? He said, no, he goes, every Red Cross volunteer to be able to leave for a week or two at a time, you either, you either got to be unemployed or uh, like 70 years old, retired. There's <laughs> not used to having these kids that can just empty a truck in an hour. I said, we better figure out, get us something else to do. So uh, they love, they love having the young people around because it's, it's a change for them. They really did. They loved having the young people around. It, it was, uh, yeah, I don't want to say it was fun, but it was very rewarding. Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad, glad you shared that. And then that was your last coaching stop. That's been the last college you've coached at, right? Correct. Yeah, I was at Bethany for four years, just getting burned out. It was the private school stuff. I'd been doing it for so long and it was, hey, bring in 30 kids. Then the next year, it's, you got to have 45. Then the next year, you got to have 60. Because I could, I showed that I could just keep getting them, right? We could recruit. And I was always going to do what I was told by my bosses. So at one point, that college is over 90% athletes. And I had 10% of the campus on my team. We had like 65 guys. Whoa. One fit. That's what I was told. I didn't want 65 players. That's what I was told to do. Um, it's kind of a moral check for me, too, where I'm like, why? why? And I was straight up with, with kids. And I was saying, hey, you're going to play JV. But we invested in our JV program and we played 30 games. You know, it wasn't like a, hey, come here, pay tuition and play two baseball games. You know, we played 30 games and they did study hall and every, every player got the same gear and we, we treated everyone the same except for the lineup card, obviously. But uh, I was just burnt out with the private school stuff and 
you know, it was, it was time for change. We had some family changes too. And I know, uh, I've talked about this a few times, but my wife and I, we have two daughters and we were going through, our youngest daughter was born with a birth defect. And so mm-hmm. like having to spend time doing some things to help her doing surgeries. I missed some time on the field and I just needed something to change. And the coaching lifestyle, especially at a small school where I was the associate AD, game manager, managing the football game, then going to practice, having a recruit visit, you know, it was a lot. And um, we just got really fortunate, man. One of my one of my best friends, Jeremy Sheetinger, everybody knows him as Sheets at Georgia Gwinnett College and from the ABCA, he was at the ABCA at the time. We'd worked camps together for years, really good friends. I introduced him to his wife when he was working at Lincoln College Showcase uh, with me. Uh, she was a volleyball coach there, Chelsea. Um, Sheets reached out and he said, hey, we're hiring at the ABCA. I think you might be a good fit. I'm, I'm going to recommend you and a couple other guys. So huge blessing. It was like just at the right time, what my family needed. So we packed up and moved to High Point, North Carolina. And I got to work more um, just during the day, not the nights and the retur- returning calls and texts, you know, from the players and recruits. And um, the first weekend out here in the fall, my wife said, Friday, she's like, what do you got tomorrow? Because it was always like, I got to watch a football game or I got to go recruit or I've got practice. I said, nothing. She's like, okay, what about Sunday? I said, nothing. Like, Don't screw this up. <laughs> Don't screw this up. <laughs> so uh, we had to, you know, make new friends, and find a new church home and do all that stuff, which is fine because we got to spend so much more time at home. My travel now is scheduled travel. It's not the 16 straight weekends in the spring, you know, and I'm coaching my daughter in baseball, like in the fall and the spring. I'm the commissioner of the high point pony Shetland division through the five-year-old division. (laughs) I just got done making the teams early this morning. Um, So yeah, I get to do some of the, some of those things and really be an active father and an active husband that you can't always do when you're coaching. What advice would you give to coaches who obviously have families, but spending so much time at the field and, you know, they want to be there for their families, but they're, they're just, just trying to, to juggle that, that balance. I'm getting ready to send out my Friday afternoon tweet here in a little bit. I don't, I'm, you know, I get on Twitter. I don't post that much stuff, but I've, I've given this talk a few times at state coaches conventions and I go back to one story and we're, we're in central Kansas and we're in the kitchen and we got two young daughters, like three and a one-year-old or wherever they were four to, I don't even remember. And it's just kind of chaos and my wife's doing something and she's talking and I'm on my phone, right? It's either with a player or with a recruit. And I'm just, yep, yep, yep. And I'm texting back and she finally stopped. She's like, Hey, I need you to be present. So what are you talking about? I'm right here. She's like, no, no, no. I know you're here. I need you to be present. There is a difference. And you don't remember every conversation you have with your spouse, but that one really like hit me in the face and I wasn't being present. So my advice to coaches is be present just the same as you are with your job. You can't do your job when you're only worried about the next job. Well, you can't be a father or be a husband when you're worried about your job, right? So you need to turn your phone off for an hour at night, or you need to just step away for an hour. You need to take those kids and do something and make them feel special, make your partner feel special. I'm getting ready to send, like I said, I'm going to send on my Friday afternoon tweet, like, have you guys uh, um, scheduled the pizza to be delivered tonight? You guys that are on the road this weekend, have you called Have you called and scheduled a babysitter to surprise your wife? You know, those are little things in season that uh, I think would go a long way if we would start prioritizing our families as much as we prioritize our team. Because you make a practice plan for your team every day, you don't make a, you don't make a life plan for your family every day. Mm. So write things down, be more communicative with your spouse, with your partner, 
and um, you can really strengthen those relationships even when you're in season. I'm definitely going to steal that too. I know I could definitely do a better job of, of being present and not on Twitter or whatever when I'm just hanging out on, on the couch with my girlfriend. So that's that's really good stuff. I, I appreciate you sharing that information. Um, kind of transitioning, lastly, I want to talk a little bit about USA Baseball. And I know you you do a lot of really good stuff with them. And you're the director of coaching development, put on a lot of, of great clinics. How, how do you go about you know, just organizing the clinics, like getting everything intact. I'm sure that can't be, I'm sure you have it down. It's a well-oiled machine now, but it can't be probably, is it as easy as it just sounds? No, there's always a hiccup. Like anything else, there's always a hiccup, right? You can have the best of intentions, but you need to, baseball coaches know to be flexible. I always, I would give our basketball coaches a hard time wherever I was at. It's like, how good do you have it? Games are at night. You don't have to work on your facility. You don't have to worry about it getting canceled. You know, like you got it so easy. Baseball coaches are the most flexible and the most, you know, just figured out people you'll ever come across. Right. Um, so no, the clinics, we have two different clinics with USA baseball. We have our community clinic program, which are free three hour coaches clinics. And we have our regional clinic program, which we're only going to have four or five of this year. Those are a two day clinic in bigger cities and typically affiliated with MLB clubs. We had our first one out in Scottsdale, Arizona with the D-backs in 2019. Um, but our community clinic program, 2019, I think we hosted close to 200 free coaches clinics all over the country. I obviously don't go to every one, but I use my network that I've been fortunate to create over the past however many years. Uh, I find you know people I trust or people that apply and that we vet um, to host a free three hour coaches clinic. And there's, there's some things to it and just being organized, but uh, keeping attendance. And then this year we had to uh, pivot to virtual clinics, obviously because of COVID. We just had our 45th virtual clinic um, on Wednesday night and we should get to 50 uh, by the end of April and then shut it down for a few months and hopefully start doing in-person clinics again. But the clinic program supports our coaching certification program, which is also free. Um, as the community clinics are. And there's three levels to it, A, B, and C. Right now you can do everything completely online. And to get level C certified, you have to attend a USA Baseball coaches clinic. So that could be a community clinic in your area when we start doing them again, or it can be the virtual clinic right now. So our virtual clinics have reached over 8,000 coaches from 45 different countries. Whoa. Yes, it's been, it's been a good program. Game Changer is our partner in that. They do a great job helping us promote those clinics. We are thankful for their, their partnership, their continued support of the program. And um, we just feel like if we have better educated coaches, they're going to reach more players. And if the coaches provide the players a better experience, those players are going to want to keep playing. And that is our end goal. We want kids to play for as long as possible. And then obviously strengthen our national teams, win gold medals. But um, for the developmental side, you can visit usabdevelops.com um, and you can find anything you want. I mean, we got certification courses, long-term athlete development plan, which is outstanding information for anybody that wants to read it. High school coaches manual. Next month, we'll have the youth coaches manual. Bring the fun at bat program to your schools. I mean, everything's there. It's free. Mobile coach app for your phone, practice plans, drill library. It's all free, free, free. So make sure to visit you. It's almost too good to be true. It's all, it's literally free. It's all incredible content. I mean, it's great. We appreciate our partners at Major League Baseball and various other uh, partners that we have that help us continue to provide that, you know, free of cost. And it's, it's awesome. We got the blog, uh, the educational blog, Lauren Ryan, Sarah Cox, rock stars, create all the education content. They do an outstanding job. Um, we've got the, the pure baseball course, abuse awareness course. You can do your background checks through us. We'll track it for you. We're really trying to act like a national governing body and not just another 
provider. You know what I mean? So it's, we got, you can get lost on the website. If you need anything, please put my email in the show notes and, or reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram. And I'd be happy to walk you through um, the site. Definitely will do. Um, Andrew, appreciate your time, man. Um, again, this has been a lot of fun. And again, just, I just think it's great, great advice for, for me, definitely take into consideration, especially just being present. I, I really like that. And then I'm sure, so I'm sure all these other coaches listening to this and parents are going to get something real, really good out of it. So I appreciate your time. I know you're really busy uh, running USA and um, the coaches side. And again, just appreciate it, man. Of course. Thanks for having me. Anytime I can share what we're doing and then get to talk a little uh, personal business on the side too. It's a good day. So thank you for having me and for doing what you're doing.